you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. Welcome to Air Talks TV Talk from LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Every Thursday, I'm joined on Air Talk by professional TV critics to review and discuss the newest cable TV, broadcast, and streaming series. With so much content available, we know it's hard to pick something to watch, and we're here to help. All right, let's meet this week's critics. It's Thursday, TV Talk, one of our most popular segments, and we're so pleased to have joining us once again, Danette Chavez, editor-in-chief at Primetimer, and Ingo Kang, who is TV critic for The New Yorker. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Uh, let's start with The Curse, uh, comedic drama starring Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, and Benny Safdie. Fielder and Safdie are the creators of the series. Ingo, please tell us what you thought of this is one of my favorite shows of the year and you know this is now we're in november time this is a lot of when the networks are putting out their very best shows in order to in order to get on those like best of year lists and i think that this list this show is going to be on a lot of those lists it's a bit of a hard show to summarize nathan fielder and emma stone play a married couple and if you think that that is weird the show also knows that that is weird they are playing a couple in New Mexico who are trying to get their own HGTV show, but they're also sort of aware that their show might also cause gentrification. And so they're trying to figure out how to offset uh, that while selling these really high-end, really ultra-sustainable houses in a pretty undesirable neighborhood. And then at the same time, Nathan Fielder's character, Asher, is convinced that a little girl has cursed him. And wouldn't you believe it? There is something about creating a TV show that is going to strain a marriage. Uh, Who would have thought? Um, We were talking last hour about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Who would think that would be the case? Um, Yeah, I just love the premise and putting all these different social issues into the mix, sustainability, gentrification. uh, and, And so is it genuinely funny? You know, it's a drama. And I will say here that Nathan Fielder was like the biggest surprise in a lot of ways because he is, you could say, sort of playing a variation on himself, but he is not playing a version of himself. He is really acting. Emma Stone, I personally love when she is in the throes of a desperate petty want, like in The Favorite, and she's doing exactly that here. You start out the show thinking that her character is going to be the idealist, the one who has her head in the skies and just doesn't care about money, and she just wants everyone to get along and he's sort of like the guy who's greedy and venal and a little too stiff and there's a great focus group scene where everyone's like what is wrong with that guy and you have to wonder wait is that like from fielder's own actual experiences and then as the show goes along i think the really great surprise of it is that you see how she has a really hardened self and he has a lot more softness in him that than you would think capable 
We're talking about The Curse, which airs on Showtime and streams on Paramount+. Plus. It'll be uh, premiering tomorrow on Paramount+, Plus, then airing Sunday on Showtime at 10 p.m. There'll be a total of 10 episodes of The Curse. For All Mankind, the Apple TV Plus series, which provides an alternate version of 1969 in which the Soviet Union beats the U.S. to the moon. Uh, Joel Kinnaman and Ren Schmidt are the stars of the series, which comes from sci-fi veteran Ronald D. Moore, Matt Wolpert, and Ben Nadivi. Danette, what do you think of this fourth season of For All Mankind? You know, it's kind of funny to think of this as one of the elder statesmen in Apple's lineup, but it's one of the first shows that Apple launched with. It's one of like five or six shows that it launched with in 2019, and it's the only one of those shows that's still on, um, which kind of says a lot about the state of streaming. Um, and I, But I see why Apple hung on to it. I think as a tech company, they probably think their mission is in line with the way the show um, because it's, you know, kind of, it's, it's, it's like, uh, the gentlest sci-fi in a way. Um, but it, you know, it really tries to find answers to socioeconomic, socioeconomic issues, sorry, through technology, which is, you know, all very noble, what I'm sure a lot of tech geniuses believe that they're doing. Um, and you know, it's, it's competence porn. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of my colleagues call it a dad show over the years because it's well acted, it's visually striking. Um, people really just work like, you know, they're, they're yeah. not passing, they're not just walking and talking. Like it's, it's very soothing. But then the last third of every season, it's like, you know, they, they really they, they hit the the the, uh, the gas pedal, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the, the pertinent uh, astronaut term um but you know they 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 really blast off in those final episodes um and you know uh it above above all else you know with someone like ronald d moore working on the show it's it's very optimistic you know again thinking that technology can provide answers even though in real life we see how often um, you know, how many people are kind of left out of those uh, solutions. Um, I've always loved the show's optimism. The longer I watch it, the more I feel like it borders on just plain old naivete. But the re what brought me back in this fourth season is that it is now unabashedly a soap opera in space. Like, it, some of the storylines are things that you might have seen on like old national inquirers really wow. <laughs> and you know in like the supermarket you know checkout lane like oh there's an openly gay republican president as a you know a 40 40 something year old actor buried under really silly prosthetics and a wig playing a 70 year old um there's a martian baby there are people trying to chase down asteroids um you know the the show never goes full on like it, it it doesn't dip fully into the silly. It's never like completely absurd. I think, you know, above all else, it wants to retain this noble tone. And, you know, I'm, I'm still into that. Uh, yeah. I, I can't wait to see how it wraps. 
um, which will obviously, you know, uh, be a while, but uh, it's it's kind of changed course. I, I feel like it's much more squarely in soap opera territory. Okay. And I think that there's absolutely room for that right now in the TV landscape. We're talking about For All Mankind with its fourth season premiering tomorrow on Apple TV+. Plus. There'll be a total of 10 episodes of For All Mankind. Fellow Travelers stars Jonathan Bailey and Matt Bomer, the series created by Ron Nicewainer. Uh, Ingu, what do you think of uh, Fellow Travelers? At the risk of repeating myself, this is also <laughs> one of my favorite shows of the year. Yeah. And it's the one I am the happiest to be proselytizing, particularly because I think it's a little bit under the radar. It doesn't have an Emma Stone in the cast, you know. Um, it stars Matt Bomer and Jonathan Bailey as these two men who find each other in the 50s. And it takes their characters who end up engaging in this closeted relationship all the way to the 80s during the AIDS crisis. I know that means that it sounds sad, but there is so much life in this show that I think it sort of like overwhelms everything else. Um, it is steamy and also there is just a very unique love story here because I think with every on-screen romance, what you really need is a kind of like push-pull. Are they going to go for it? Or are they not going to go for it? And I think the really interesting push-pull here is that there is one character who is just completely <laughs> undeserving of the other because Matt Bomer's character, Hawk, um, lovely mid-century name, is just a jerk. And yet he is sort of the best chance at happiness for Jonathan Bailey's Tim, who starts out as a McCarthyite. And over the years, as he sort of like thinks more and dwells on what he wants his legacy to be, uh, you know, ends up being an AIDS activist. This uh, show also starts, I think, in a pretty novel setting, which is the Lavender Scare of the 50s. I think a largely forgotten chapter of American history. While McCarthy was rooting out uh, communist sympathizers, he was also at the same time trying to rout gay men and lesbians from a federal service, from government service. And so because both Tim and Hawk are government employees at one point, they have to really try to figure out a way to not get caught up in this uh, net that just sort of seems to be getting rougher and larger. And if <laughs> I'm going to be a little jokey about it, the first few episodes reminded me a little bit of Survivor, <laughs> okay. uh, the reality show, yeah. someone has to be sacrificed. And it's a lot of the really smart strategic players here trying to decide which of their own to throw under wow. the bus to save their own skin. You know, I had never heard before that, you know, everyone sort of knows that Roy Cohn, who was Joseph McCarthy's sec uh, right-hand man at the time, was gay. Apparently, Joseph McCarthy, there were also gay rumors about him. And that's really sort of the starting point of the show. There are these gay men who feel like they have to persecute other gay people in order to stay alive, in order to get the sink off of them. And so that sort of creates a ripple effect across the entire DC gay community. Wow. I mean, all the themes that are, does it evoke a sense of place strongly? 
I have been to DC once, so I can't say that I know that for sure. I think that it. And you're probably too really... young for it to know if it evoked the time or not. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I wasn't alive in the 50s. It's true. Right, yeah. But I think it does have a really great sense of historical sweep. You know, they sort of allude a little bit to the Vietnam War and the assassination of Harvey Milk and the rise of gay rights over the years. You know, there is sort of this uh, sense of what Fire Island means and what San Francisco begins to mm -hmm. mean and the rise of the term gay and is that okay? And I think that what's really interesting is that Hawk, Matt Bomer's character, decides he's actually just going to stay in the closet the whole time. And I think that's one of the reasons why this romance, even though it just completely pulls these two people together, can't really fully work out because he just refuses to give up the perks of heterosexuality. We're talking about the Showtime and Paramount Plus series Fellow Travelers, the romantic drama starring Jonathan Bailey and Mac Bomer. Uh, it's uh, uh, available, uh, first two episodes out now. Third episode releases tomorrow on Paramount Plus and Sunday airs on the Showtime network. There'll be a total of eight episodes. When we come back, we'll hear from Danette about Pact of Silence, a Mexican drama which is streaming on Netflix. We'll also uh, hear about Everyone Else Burns, uh, and that's a British comedy starring Simon Bird and Cato Flynn. This is TV Talk from LAist 89.3. We'll be right back after this. Support for LAist comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga, with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back, along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubria's The Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin Vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, and you're listening to Air Talk's TV Talk, a weekly review of the newest cable TV, broadcast, television, and streaming series. Let's get back to reviews. Uh, we're joined by critics Danette Chavez of Primetimer, where she's editor-in-chief, and Ingu Kang, TV critic for The New Yorker. And Danette is going to tell us about the Netflix series from Mexico, Pact of Silence, starring Camila Valero and Jose Manuel Rincón, uh, that's created by Jose Vicente Spataro. Danette, what did you think of Pact of Silence? You know, I always have an eye on Netflix's international releases, not just for the breakout shows like your Squid Games, your Lupons and Money Heist, but because I'm interested in the storytelling approaches that other countries take. I think by now we all know that British shows are going to be very succinct, right, with a handful of episodes a season, one or two seasons per series. Um, Pact of Silence is giving U.S. Netflix users a crash course in soap operas. Um, I think most people expected, you know, a, 
uh, maybe a 10 hour binge. It is 18 episodes. Um, it has so, so much story. I could not begin to sum it up. Um, but as I began watching it, you know, I, I, I didn't even look at the episode count yet. As I watched it, I realized that it was less like Money Heist, which is a Spanish drama on Netflix. That's one of its most popular shows ever. I think they're launching a prequel soon. And more like uh, this Latin American soap opera called Queen of the South uh, that was remade uh, by USA Network here in the US a couple years ago. Um, it was fascinating to watch people reacting to it on Twitter because they were complaining about the Byzantine plot and uh, what I like to call smell the fart acting, where there are just like a lot of flared nostrils and wide eyes, people coming in and out of rooms at inopportune times, uh, someone being cut off while, you know, making some huge revelation. But, you know, I think it speaks to kind of a generational divide really because these are things I'm so used to having grown up watching the daytime soap operas you know like all my children general hospital and also Latin American soap operas which burn through plot and you know release yeah. five episodes a week and you know and again you know having watched both of those I'm used to something like you know all my children going or no general hospital is the one that i think recently hit 60 years and then something isn't that wild and it's then you crazy. have like these latin american soaps that will run for about 150 episodes episodes which sounds insane now but those are 150 episodes in something like three months and so I was fascinated by the response because it just shows, I think, that younger viewers are not attuned to those rhythms. You know, they're they're not used to some of those tropes, which, you know, is, is good and bad, right? Like on the one hand, you know, some of that hamminess, it, it's probably better that, you know, you're offsetting some of that with uh, more prestige dramas. And I'm not going to pretend this is an especially good show, but it is ridiculous in the best way. <laughs> and I think that... You know, I mean, there's there's one central question to the show that could be answered with just a little bit of science borrowing from For All Mankind, and this woman just refuses to do it because revenge is more important uh, than answering her question, really. Um, but, you know, it, it's been fascinating to watch the response to it. Um, and, you know, I just, I think with more people rediscovering the weekly episode drop i think it's also just a good time to get you know a, a lesson in soap opera storytelling pact of silence is streaming on netflix all the episodes are streaming now we're getting tight on time but we have a couple of other shows to talk about uh, everyone else burns is a cw show also streaming on the cw app it's a british comedy starring simon bird and kato flynn dylan mapletoft and oliver taylor created the series. Inku, uh, briefly, what do you think of Everyone Else Burns? This is just a really modest but really incisive comedy. It is actually the opposite of what the net was just describing. This is six 20-minute episodes. You will be done through it in the blink of an eye. It is <laughs> about a doomsday cult that this family in Manchester is stuck in. And they are sort of slowly starting to realize how it is corroding their relationships with one another. And yet at the same time, they feel so stuck in this that they don't really quite know how to escape its most pernicious effects. And yet at the same time, it is a comedy. And I really have 
feel like I have to like iterate that part because I feel like a lot of these, you know, our cult entertainments right now are very correctly, sensitively portraying these really abusive dynamics. But I think coming at this from a more lighthearted angle, a more character-driven angle, really offers you something different. Everyone Else Burns, the third episode of the season, is out tomorrow. It airs at 9.30 on The CW, which is Channel 5 in Southern California. And finally, the Paramount Plus streaming Colin from Accounts, an Australian comedy starring Harriet Dyer and Patrick Bramall. married to each other, created this series. Danette, I need like one sentence on this. Okay. This show proves that Paramount Plus is not just Taylor, Sheridan, Lamb. <laughs> all right. Very good. Colin from Accounts, all eight episodes released today and are streaming. My thanks to our critics this week, Ingu Kang and Danette Chavez. Danette at Primetimer, where she's editor-in-chief, and Ingu from The New Yorker, where she's TV critic. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Air Talks TV Talk from LAS 89.3. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. LAS has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events.